and welcome to Beckett Talks, the new podcast from Leeds Beckett University. Each week, these podcasts will bring you the diversity of knowledge and experiences from across our university, reflecting on the issues that are important and interesting for communities today. Welcome everyone to Beckett Talks. This week, we are joined by Lauren Delaney. Lauren is the performance nutritionist for Leeds Rhino's first team. Lauren started working with the Rhinos in 2021 alongside studying for a PhD in sport and exercise physiology at Leeds Becker University. Before joining the Rhinos, Lauren worked at the English Institute of Sport for seven years, supporting a range of different sports in the lead into the 2016 and 2020 Olympic and Paralympic Games. Lauren also has a unique sporting background, starting with basketball and continuing with her rise to the top of Irish rugby in the Six Nations. Hi Lauren, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So I thought we could kind of start, obviously I've just given a very in-depth intro there and <laughs> snippets of your life, but I saw a really nice headline that kind of said you, you've taken the scenic route to the top of Irish rugby and the Six Nations. Would you agree with that analogy? Yeah, absolutely. So I suppose I've played basketball for 15 years since I was kind of a young girl and and joined um, secondary school, my secondary school, Closh Eastcon. And yeah, I really loved it. I really enjoyed it. Um, And at the bold age of 25, I converted to rugby. And that was purely out of uh, moving to Milton Keynes for a new job. And there was nowhere to play basketball. And one of my friends um, at the job that I was at basically asked, did I want to give rugby a go? We found a local rugby club and the two of us went down and it's progressed from there. Um, I think rugby still, women's rugby is is a relatively uh, young discipline and a young sport. And we're still getting many women joining the the sport from the age of kind of 20s in maybe going to university trying it for the for the first time so it's great to see and I love hearing about people joining the sport in their 20s but um yeah definitely not the maybe stereotypical route to rugby or to international rugby which you might hear on the men's side probably a bit more often playing since you were a kid and then and then join the international setup so you touched on um, playing basketball as a, a young girl and um, can you tell us a bit more about what the sport's like in Ireland? Is it quite a big sport? Um, kind of what, what did you enjoy most about playing basketball? Yeah, so I think in probably in relation to other sports, basketball is similar in the UK and Ireland. It probably wouldn't come within the, the top 10 sports in, in either country. Um, I suppose more so in Ireland, you'd have... And those top sports like football, the Gaelic games like Gaelic football and hurling and rugby be up there as well. Um, but it's quite big in the community setting of, of both countries. Um, and I think I read um, an article there recently to saying it's one of the most popular sports in schools because it's played quite a lot in secondary schools, which is how I picked it up. And in particular, in kind of under 16 level um, girls as well. So I think it's the most popular sport in Ireland for under 16 girls. Um, and I suppose that that was kind of me to a T. I, I joined Clochyscon, the secondary school, when I was 12, and it was the most popular sport there and a really successful school at um, national level. So throughout the years, I played on kind of a every every school team. And, and I think I have 10 different All-Ireland medals because, yeah, we just had a really successful team for about six to eight years in total. We always had 
um, a few players on international teams as well. Um, and there was just a great setup and and loads of players throughout the years. Did you think that basketball was going to be your career at that age? Is that how you saw it going? I'm not sure whether I saw it as a career option, I suppose, back when I was in my early teens. Um, kind of female professional sport wasn't probably um, very visible, um, definitely not in Ireland. And um, I knew there was obviously progression from underage international team to senior, but we all knew that it wasn't professional. Um, so it probably wasn't possible as a career, but I definitely, um, I, I took a break from international for kind of the under 18 age. I wanted to focus on my exams and then I was planning on um, trying out for the under 21s team. But unfortunately, all the funding for international and senior international basketball got cut. Um, so that kind of avenue closed. Um, but I suppose I had already decided on my university degree and the progress that I wanted to take in my um, academic and professional career. Um, so I probably never saw it as a as a career, but I definitely I always loved the sport and I knew I'd play it until my body would force me to stop. The next step that you kind of in your career journey, I guess, was moving to England. So I guess for you, that felt like a decision that, you know, you very clearly needed to make. But I guess from a university perspective, a student perspective, people move up and down the country all the time. So was that daunting to you to have to move from Ireland? Absolutely. So I did my undergraduate degree in Dublin and I'm from Dublin. So I actually lived at home for um, the whole five years that I was my, doing my undergraduate degree. So it was definitely a massive move for the first time to move country um, to start university. But I almost thought because I was going into a university setting, it was it was quite a safe setting because there was going to be loads of new people. Everyone wanted to make friends. Everyone was in the same boat. Um, and I'm very much, I, I love to travel. I love to visit new places. So I found it really, really exciting to move somewhere new and to live away from home and to live on campus as well. And I absolutely loved it. Is there any advice that you would give to any students thinking about moving away from home? Yeah, absolutely. I'd probably say to try and get involved in university life as much as possible. So join some different clubs, complete, compete in intramural sports and, and try and make friends in, in different ways and in different avenues because everyone's going through kind of this new environment and new change. Um, and kind of the wider your support network, kind of the better you'll get on and, and the more support you'll have. You tried rugby for the first time at 25. Was that following university was it part of that what was that journey yeah so I left university in 2013 um ooh, what age was I now probably 24 maybe 25 um and I got my first role my first job with the English Institute of Sport and that was with um working two days a week with British Badminton and for that role after a few months I moved to Milton Keynes um, and that's where, unfortunately, there was nowhere to continue playing basketball with. And yeah, went down to our local club, gave gave rugby a go. I actually um, did start to commute back up to Loughborough at that point after a few months to continue to play um, basketball at the same time. Um, 
but yeah, I just really enjoyed rugby. I loved the rugby community. Um, I loved the vibe around the club. All the girls were great. And I kind of progressed quite quickly and, um, and quite well within it. So did you, you made your debut in 2018. Was that against USA? Was that, did that involve like travel? And um, was that element quite exciting to you as well, like with this sport? Absolutely. So I suppose there was a, a little bit of time from from me first starting rugby and um, making the Irish team. So after two years working with British Badminton, I moved up to Manchester for my next role within the IS with British Cycling. Um, and I decided to look at all the different teams around the Northwest and basically who were the top team in, in the Northwest and, and Furwood Waterloo Ladies were that team at the top of championship. It was two or three leagues above what I was playing. Um, and yeah, it went over there, did have done really well um, and loved playing rugby. And, and as part of that, there was, there's always kind of talent ID days for the Irish qualified system, um, which is, used to be called Exiles, but now it's IQ. And I went to one of those talent ID days at the in summer 2018. And fortunately for me, the Irish 15s senior um, senior team head coach was there, Adam Griggs. And we did kind of a full day of training. And based off that day, he selected me to be in that squad for the Autumn Internationals. Um, and yeah, it's so basically we train kind of every weekend for for a block leading into a group of games. So I was traveling back and forth every weekend for about two months into, in the lead into that game. And yeah, luckily got selected um, for against the USA. It was a home game for the Autumn Internationals against um, yeah the USA in Dublin. And it was, yeah, a, a pretty amazing, surreal and crazy experience. Um, but I absolutely loved it. Did you find that you kind of got a lot more attention for for playing kind of elite rugby um, in terms of like maybe more interviews and things like that? Was that was that quite overwhelming or early on? Probably not so much. Um, there were some interviews, and it was probably more came off the back of my performance nutrition role with British Cycling and the EIS. And then some journalists found out that I also played international rugby. So they all came through the nutrition role initially. But in probably in more recent months and recent years with the recent Six Nations of 2021, that having had its own space away from, from the men's Six Nations, that's put a lot more social media and a lot more media around the women's game, which has been excellent. So there's been yeah a lot more interviews and a lot more, more attention, which is great for the sport and, and great for kind of the players and and their kind of development and and, and exposure um, and exposure of the sport as a whole and and how great it is and um, yeah the quality of games. So it sounds as if you've had some good kind of mentors and people that you know have wanted you to succeed in in rugby would you agree with that? Yeah, I've had some pretty amazing coaches over the years um, different coaches with different levels of support. I'll, I'll never forget my first coach at Bletchley Ladies Rugby Club, Carl Cross. And he'll say to this day that he kind of saw a natural talent to me and he basically tried to avoid coaching me and just see how I went. 
And then the next kind of big coach in my career was with Fairwood Waterloo Ladies. And and she was very much a Steph Veal, a, a, a people person and always put the 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 person at the centre of everyone's development and obviously helped with um, developing towards the Irish team as well. And then probably in more recent years, um, obviously Adam Griggs, the head Irish coach, I've learned so much from him. Um, but probably also some some players as well. So I play with a lot of kind of Welsh and Scottish players as well, and we push each other in different way. And obviously everyone's in different environments and has different setups. So we learn a lot from each other. So um, good friends like um, Mary Gree from Scotland and, and Lisa Newman, who's the same position on the Welsh team as well as me. We both play for, for Sail Sharks women, but we kind of push and drive each other and almost peer mentoring in, in probably a bit of a different way. That sounds really cool that even though you're on opposite teams, everyone gets along so well. Um, that's, yeah, that's really like- nice. I think that's just the rugby community. Do you know, there's there's many girls from, from the Welsh and the English team that I've never met before. But I don't know, in the last year or two, there's just been this different level of of camaraderie across the community in terms of of women's rugby and, and developing it from a social media point of view and kind of progressing kind of women's professionalism as much as possible. And yeah, I mean, I've started talking to a number of different international girls through social media uh, off the back of some different campaigns um, that have happened around getting females playing more sport and getting women playing more more rugby as well. And again, it's it's why I love rugby so much. It's just that community aspect and um, how kind of engaging and supportive everyone is, no matter who you play for, no matter what your background, um, everyone's welcome at rugby. So do, this might seem like a strange question, but do you think any of your skills from basketball kind of play into rugby? Has that helped you in any way, do you think? No, not not um, not an odd question at all. I feel I've been asked that quite a lot, I suppose, with the kind of quick progression that I've had and a number of other basketball players on the um, the Irish rugby team. Um, I suppose the real core skills of, of ball handling skills is an obvious one. Um, we're all known for being a bit of a ballers on, on the pitch and being able to catch quite well. Um, footwork and defensive work and being able to read the game is quite a good one as well. I suppose looking at myself from being a, a winger and um, a winger or fullback, that footwork, that speed, that fitness is very, very transferable. Now, looking at me playing basketball last night, I felt extremely unfit. <laughs> it's a very different type of fitness, but um, it's just that kind of foundation of, of athleticism that transfers quite well. The big and obvious difference is obviously the contact um, and the difference of just being able to pass backwards rather than a bit of everywhere. Um, but I think that first rugby team that I joined were excellent in in teaching people the basics of how to tackle and be tackled. Um, it will probably always be my biggest work on because of, um, yeah, I haven't grown up with that contact and, and learning it. But um, yeah, it's something I love and you get used to and something that you probably you enjoy as part of the sport and as part of training as well. Sounds um, very interesting. I'm not sure <laughs> we'd all uh, be able to take to it as quickly as you have. But um, so you mentioned, obviously, Six Nations. For those of us, you know, who might not be experts in rugby, can you explain more about the Six Nations, kind of what it was like to be part of that as well? 
Yeah, so the Six Nations is a tournament that happens every year, normally around um, February, March time. Um, and both the women, men's and under 20 men's compete um, against obviously five other teams. So there's England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, France and Italy. Um, and it varies each year whether you play home or away and you play everyone once and then the accumulation of, of the tournament um, is normally Super Saturday, which everyone plays on the final day and um, obviously the top points or the top um, teams kind of win from a from a women's perspective. It's been between, well, England have won it the last three years um, and it's been between them and, and France at that top of the table. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 a great tournament. It's famous across the world. It's it's really high quality because you've got a lot of um, really high quality teams playing every year, year in, year out. Um, and yeah, it's it's an amazing thing to be part of, I think. We had a really unique one this year because of the pandemic. Unfortunately, they tried to 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 restrict kind of the movement of the women's side. So they changed the format of it for one year only um, to two in the women's side to two pools of three teams. You played each team in your pool and then um, based off the rankings from those two pools, you paid each other. So we came third in, in the tournament overall. So you only played three games rather than five. So a very different um, tournament that we've we've had in the past, but it was equally as good as it's been in the past. And, and as I mentioned earlier, because it was away from the men's side, all the focus was on the women. And you could see that on the media attention, the social media and everything, which was excellent. Um, and some people have argued that it needs to to stay that way to help develop the women's rugby and and the tournament as a whole. Um, hopefully post pandemic if that exists in the future it'll go back to the normal tournament of of five games over kind of seven weeks did you miss that kind of um spectator element of it i imagine you won't have had any crowds watching and is that is that strange yeah that was that was very very strange um we have excellent support in in ireland and we've we've packed out our um stadium six or seven thousand for for the majority of games over the years and we've played in a few kind of eight to ten thousand stadium and um capacity over in in england and and in the other countries so it was very weird not having anyone in the stands and I suppose not having your family there either. Up until last year, my my parents have and um, my sister have been to every single game that I've played internationally. Um, so it was weird not having those friends and family in in the stands. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to in the future. I think it's it's this week now that um, uh, they can have fans in in stadiums. So really excited for that to come back in the future and. It makes so much of a difference, you know. It's the sixteenth man on the pitch, and or woman on the pitch. Sorry, um, and it, yeah, it just makes such a difference. And with the sway of kind of momentum with different teams as well, um, yeah, can't wait to get fans back in. I'm sure your family can't wait to uh, be able to watch you again. You were mentioned there about um, obviously the big impact it's had on you know in the media we're, we're talking more about women in the sport and did you see the impact like have you had more interest in people in, in girls women in particular wanting to play rugby now 
Yeah, absolutely. I think especially with stories like mine and a lot of the other girls where we kind of joined and tried the sport for the first time mid-20s. And there's a lot of really good campaigns, both in Ireland and the UK, um, called, oh, I can't remember the name, an inner not the in your warrior some some campaigns that are trying to get people from all backgrounds and all age groups um to try out rugby for the first time and and see what a great community it is and what a great sport it is um i'm definitely seeing a lot more um women joining the sport and i think you know that shows in the numbers kind of countrywide as well and there's definitely a lot more attention and a lot more people um investing in the sport but i we still have, have a long way to go. The Carnegie School of Sport at Leeds Beckett University is one of the largest providers of sport in UK higher education. Recently investing 45 million in a new home for sport, the new building provides world-class sporting facilities and also acts as a hub for elite athletes, sports and industry partners. With courses in sport, exercise and health sciences, physical education, sports management and sports coaching, the school takes an interdisciplinary approach to teaching and research, enabling the students to graduate with the skills needed to succeed in an evolving sport and physical activity industry. So if any of these subjects interest you, go to leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash CSOS for more information. Do you have any rugby goals for the future? Would you like to play in the World Cup someday? Yeah, absolutely. So the World Cup, um, unfortunately, was delayed from this year. It was supposed to be held in New Zealand in October 2020. So it's been postponed for a year due to the pandemic. Um, so it's now happening at a similar time in New Zealand in 2022. Um, Ireland, unfortunately, we haven't qualified yet. We still have a World Cup qualification tournament um, later on this year. Um, so I suppose that's probably the big goal to help the team um, qualify for the World Cup. And, and absolutely, go to the, going to the World Cup would be uh, an unbelievable um, experience and, and definitely something that's goal number one on, uh, on my list. That would, that would be amazing, wouldn't it? Just mm -hmm. to get that achievement, yeah. Um, so we've, we've, we've spoken a lot about kind of you, you playing sport and that element of your life, but um, I thought we could just have a look at kind of your career as well. So you've mentioned a few times while we've been talking about the English Institute of Sport. So, you know, you've worked on sports like badminton, British skeleton, taekwondo, British swimming. So how did you get into that role? Can you tell us a bit more about like what, what you've done with each of those sports? Yeah, absolutely. So I did um, my undergraduate degree in Dublin in human nutrition and dietetics. So I'm a qualified dietitian and I kind of knew straight away that I wanted to go into sports nutrition. Um, one of my lecturers who I'm still in contact with from my undergraduate still jokes about kind of the first time that um, we all met and discussed career options. I was the only one out of the whole of the class that was like, no, I'm going into sports nutrition. Um, so straight away after I qualified, when I decided to kind of move over to England and do my master's degree, um, that was to specialise in sport and exercise nutrition, because we did very little of that in our undergraduate because it was very clinical um, and it was all to lead into either industry or working in hospitals. 
So I did my undergraduate or I did my master's at Loughborough University. Um, and alongside that, I did an internship with Leicester Tigers Academy team, um, which was a great experience and, and a great first experience in, in the rugby scene and the, and the elite sport side. Um, and then as soon as I qualified within a few months, I got that first role with the English Institute of Sport and, and British Badminton. Um, so, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it. I mean, every sport I've worked in has been extremely different and a wide range of challenges from the amount of travel that badminton athletes do to the winter sport that is British skeleton or British skeleton and um, traveling for six months out of the year in freezing cold conditions um, to British swimming, which is an aquatic sport and um, a completely different challenge altogether. Um, I suppose that's probably what I, I love about all the different sports, that everyone adds a new challenge. It's completely different cultures and has a wide range of, of different athletes and, and nutrition challenges. Um, but I suppose as part of the English Institute of Sport, from a nutrition perspective, we very much work from work from a performance backwards approach. So the sport kind of developed what we called a, a what it takes to win model. And it's almost what that athlete needs to achieve to win a gold medal at an Olympics or Paralympics. And from that, the performance is broken down into different elements. And then as a nutritionist, we would identify any key areas that nutrition could support to impact that performance and help obviously to get um, help to get that gold medal. So most of what we did and how we supported was three key elements. So we advised nutrition to enhance kind of the competition or game day performance is probably the most obvious one. Um, number two was all around training adaptations and how can we maximize the adaptations that athletes are getting from training day to day and finally reducing the risk of illness and injury. So making sure everyone eats all their fruit and veg throughout the day to kind of support their, their immune system and then help some of the athletes to get back from injury as um, as quickly or as effectively as we could. So within those three parameters, it would vary which would be maybe a higher priority or more of a focus within each sport. Um, but yeah, I suppose that's the that's the challenging and dynamic work that goes with with performance nutrition. So in terms of those different sports, were you working on them at the same time, all the different sports, or was it like at different times? Sorry, yes. So when my first role with, with British Badminton, that was two days a week. And then within maybe six to nine months, I gained an additional role with British Skeleton, which was one day a week. And then a few months later, I gained an additional role with British Swimming, which was two days a week. So I did that for over the course of, of nearly two years. And then um, a position came up with British Cycling, which was full time alongside another full time nutritionist, which is extremely rare to have two nutritionists in one sport um, and yeah so I was successful in that sport and spent five years with British Cycling um, full-time. So I can imagine that all these different sports and how they train and everything is completely maybe completely different um, yeah. so what do you, what kind of knowledge have you gained about nutrition just from working in all these different sports like how how much does it vary between them? 
Oh, massively. I think if you look at the dynamics of the different sport and, and the challenges, if you compare skeleton, which um, they sprint for two to three seconds and then they go down um, uh, a bobsleigh track for one minute and they might do that twice in a day. And that's their competition in comparison to um, badminton athletes who, who might um, compete three, four five times in a day. Um, a match can last anywhere from 15 to 30, 40 minutes, um, and that could be anywhere kind of around the world in different environmental conditions as well, all the way up to British cycling, which that was probably the most dynamic sport, because even though it's cycling and they're all on bikes, um, there's probably five main disciplines. So you've got track cycling, you've got road cycling, um, mountain bike, BMX Supercross and BMX Freestyle Park. And even within that one sport, the the challenges nutritionally, um, well, I suppose in terms of all disciplines, are very, very different. So in one endurance athlete, you might be trying to support them to fuel um, on a road ride for six or seven hours, where a sprinter might only do 17 seconds worth of effort, but you need to support them nutritionally to build muscle to be as strong as possible because they're only sprinting for 17 seconds and that's got to be a quick um, they've got to go as fast as possible. So there's everything even in between. And I suppose you've got to be quite flexible and be able to do quite a detailed needs analysis for each of those athletes and be able to individualize your nutrition support as well. Because even though we might have a handful of riders all riding the same discipline and the same bike and have the same goals, um, their journey to get to that outcome could be very different. One of them could have an allergy or an intolerance. Another one um, could really struggle to eat with their appetite. Another athlete might not be able to cook. So how I support each athlete individually will vary based off not only the performance goals, but also um, their health needs and what their kind of lifestyle needs are as well. Sounds like you need to be a very organised <laughs> individual to do this. Very much um, so. Is there any kind of standout moments or events that you've worked on in, within the English Institute of Sport um, or any athletes that you've worked with in particular that, you know, you can recall? Yeah, I think, you know, working within Olympic and Paralympic sports, you work in a four year cycle and everything is geared towards the Olympics or the Paralympics. So a highlight has definitely been the Rio 2016 Olympic and Paralympic Games where myself and the other nutritionists had only joined 10 months prior to those to those games. And it was a really intense, really hectic 10 months to get everything up to speed and to put plans in place for all the athletes. Um, and even all the previous sports I had worked with were all geared towards the Rio Olympic and Paralympic Games. So to finally see that happen and to see all the athletes compete and and obviously British cycling kind of topped the medal tables again and and did unbelievably with with 12 medals and 30, 30, 30 odd medals. I think we got the Paralympics and um, that was unbelievable to see and to almost see the fruits of your labor throughout the those months beforehand and and see the athletes that you work so closely with um, achieve amazing things and and a lot of gold medals. Let's talk a little bit about studying at Leeds Beckett and doing your PhD here. You also work at Leeds Rhinos. That's obviously a very beloved local team, <laughs> very close to our Headingley campus. Um, so yeah, how did it come about choosing Leeds Beckett? Like, 
I suppose, obviously, the pandemic hit uh, last year and a number of different opportunities came up. I'd been five years with, with British Cycling and almost decided that I might need to kind of change route and, and um, see what other opportunities were out there. And the opportunity to do a PhD um, in rugby within the topics of rugby of my choosing um, and to work within elite rugby as well came up and how I described it to British Cycling when I told them was that it was almost my dream job. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd always considered doing a PhD, but probably as soon as I got into the practitioner world and got my first role with the IS, I probably put that idea to the back of my mind. Um, so I almost thought, you know, it's almost now and never and what better um, kind of PhD to do than one in the, in kind of the sport or the, um, the type of sport that I love and and in the areas that I'm really passionate about. Um, so my focus of my research in PhD is around body composition and how we optimise body composition within elite rugby players um, using behaviour change science. So a bit more of a, um, a psychology side of, of nutrition. Um, and I suppose they're the kind of key areas that I've become really passionate about as a nutritionist. So to be able to contribute back to the research um, and again, within rugby was just yeah, the ideal situation and scenario. And um, Leeds Beckett University has obviously a great reputation for um, for rugby research within the, the CAR or the Carnegie Applied Rugby Research um, kind of section of, of the the Carnegie School of Sport um, and also obviously yeah, working with, with Leeds Rhinos, um, one of the top uh, rugby league teams, was a, was a great opportunity. Did you find it welcoming? Obviously it's, it's a bit different for you isn't it having to work during a pandemic but if we, were, if we were saying like what's a typical day like for you working with the Rhinos, could you take us through that? Yeah absolutely, so um, depending on kind of the the time of the month and the time of the um, the phase of the season. So, for example, this morning I I was doing a range of of body comp sessions. Um, this morning with with a load of the lads before their first training session. Um, I'd typically then go and write up all my my notes based off a lot of those conversations that I've had with the lads. Uh, report back to other um, members of staff. I'd then go out and, and watch some training with the lads um, out on, on the pitch and then maybe have some extra meetings with some other um, lads discussing um, what their nutrition strategies are, maybe how they got on with some nutrition strategies at the, the last game at the weekend. Um, is there anything we can adapt or change? or maybe support some of the, the injured lads that we have at the minute to help with their rehab and, and their recovery. Um, and then probably the last few hours would be developing some, some resources um, or developing some meal plans for, for the athletes as well to be able to send them out. Um, but yeah, that will probably be a, a typical day, day in the life of, of my role with Leeds Rhinos. How do you kind of balance um working with the rhinos and kind of like you say you come onto campus sometimes and just that kind of studying element how do you balance that mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so I'm based with Leeds Rhinos about two days a week. So the rest of the time is is mostly focused around my PhD, which is mostly from home at the minute. Um, so for my first few studies, they're most likely going to be online interviews. So again, quite easy to do at home. Um, so I'm I'm not kind of on campus or don't need to be over the next while. And I suppose that's probably the um, during the pandemic, the encouragement is if you don't need to be on campus, especially as a postgraduate student and um, to kind of be working from home. So it's given me quite a lot of flexibility in terms of of working hours. And um, I kind of know my two days a week that I'm over here with with rhinos and I can be quite flexible on the other days. And then it helps me kind of manage all my rugby commitments as well. I thought it would be nice to kind of end with what's next for you. What do you see as being kind of the next steps in your career or sporting life, anything like that? Well, I suppose the the PhD is over kind of three to four years. So that's probably um, the next few years mapped out in terms of of working with Leeds Rhinos and and yeah, just really enjoying the PhD process and um, and getting as much out of that as possible. Um, I suppose the, the next big thing in terms of my life is probably the World Cup next year. So definitely working towards that from, from a rugby perspective. Um, but to be honest, this kind of change in my career is is still quite new. So I probably haven't looked or focused too long term or or past the PhD um, in terms of, of where I go afterwards. I'm, I'm probably just working within the next few years. Um, but I definitely like to continue my research and continue working in in rugby um continue with rugby league maybe look at some some working with some rugby union teams as well um but yeah i think probably there's loads of options and probably even more after my phd so um yeah i think w- one step at a time i think i'll get past the phd first before i look too far ahead you just want to enjoy um living <laughs> learning about leeds living in leeds um yeah Absolutely. i understand um so obviously your job leads lends itself to kind of mentoring, coaching people, even if that's through nutrition or just like um, even in the sports like rugby and basketball. So do you see coaching in the future? Would you like to coach um, young girls similar to you who might have an interest in a sport, anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. I've definitely had it on the back of my mind that I'd like to do my my level two in coaching rugby. Um, I coached basketball for years when I was younger as well, for about five years at my my old club back in Ireland. Um, so I definitely do love coaching and, and really enjoy that. Um, as part of, of Sail Sharks Women, my club and um, the community set up there, the um, Sail Sharks community are excellent and quite regularly we do player appearances with different rugby clubs. I've got one, I think, next week with Manchester Rugby Club. Um, so, yeah, it's great to be involved in that. It's great to um, support and help young girls and and older women, obviously, as well, develop within within the sport. But, yeah, I'd definitely be keen to to get coaching and kind of lend my knowledge and, and help support and, and develop players. Absolutely. Do you see yourself as a role model? I mean, I, I would personally. <laughs> um, I think in more recent years where the, the media and the exposure of kind of the international rugby scene has grown, I'd probably say absolutely. Um, and I recognise kind of the platform I have and 
um, the the role I have, I suppose, in inspiring young girls. And that's definitely a big part of, of why I play rugby and why I enjoy it so much. Um, definitely to inspire those young girls to enjoy sport, to play sport, to get out and exercise and and almost to show that that women can do it too. Um, and not to be be afraid of at any age to try a sport, to try rugby um, or whatever, whatever exercise you want. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely a role model. And, and hopefully I can continue to inspire um, women of all ages to, to keep exercising and keep striving um, to, yeah, to do better, to be successful in whatever, whatever their endeavours are. That seems like a perfect ending to a lovely conversation that we've had today. Thank you so much for joining us on Beckett Talks today. Thank you for listening. Cheers. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. The Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday. So don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week.